Welcome to the Retirement Plan Playbook. The boys are back. We're here. We're ready to go. I'm your host, Brent Pasqua, founder of RPA Wealth Management. I'm here as always with Matthew Thiel, certified financial planner, and Joshua Winterswike, certified financial planner. How's it going, guys? Feels good to be back in here. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Brent. I'm really excited for today's show. I think this is going to be a doozy, and I have a lot to say. I'm excited too. I think all of uh, the last, what is it, like week and a half, two weeks, been waiting for this to record this podcast. So excited to start. Yeah, it's been such a crazy couple of weeks with a lot of emotions surrounding the market, and we want to get into that. But to kind of kick this thing off as we are going to talk about what has happened and why it's happened and so forth, I want to ask you guys a question. It seems like now that active stock picking has really had a resurgence. Do either of you trade individual stocks? And in, if you do, like, what kind of capacity do you do that in? I, I do. I, I've done it for a long time. So I started trading individual stocks when I was 15 years old. So I've been doing it now for almost 20 years. And I think it has its place in a financial plan. Um, but I also manage my retirement passively using index funds. So the stock market, stock picking is more of my hobby. And what I did to make it so I don't actively trade in day trade is I started, do, I do it in a brokerage account. And because I'm cheap, I don't want to pay taxes. So that forces me to be, you know, not over trade and be really specific when I trade. Like, so for instance, a long time ago, I purchased Apple in like 2011 and I, and I haven't sold it. And I have such a large capital gain that I don't think I'm ever really going to sell it unless I need the money or something drastically changes with Apple's business because uh, I don't want to pay the capital gains tax. So that's the way I do it for myself. I don't need to probably elaborate too much more. I think me and Matt have very similar strategies. Retirement's very passive um, and stock picking is more of a hobby. Um, I think that, you know, learned about stocks and, you know, was always interested in them since high school and started trading in college when I was studying finance and just always have had an interest in it about trading individual stocks. And I've just kept that again as a hobby. But um, my core investment strategy is still passive, and uh, I do enjoy you know, the, the buying and selling of those individual stocks. Yeah, I think the theme for me is the same. I mean, you know, the majority of my assets and in investing is built on that passive and that like, very smart investment philosophy. But and the reason I do, and I do own individual stocks, but you know, I think for us, first of all, we got to trade for our clients first. Second of all, you get a little bit, you don't always want to be trading. It's like very time consuming and you know you're going down a bad path if you're just going to be spending a bunch of time trying to figure out trades. It's probably not worth it. So I enjoy it. I hold them just like you guys I keep them, but I'm not there to day trade things in and out. Yeah, that's like me too. And that was one thing that I miss is I do hold my positions. There's not too many that I've actually even sold. Yeah, completely agree. Extra, extra, read all about it. Let's hear the latest hot takes on some recent news items. So let's get into the hot take headlines. The last week of January, Reddit, day traders, hedge funds, AOC, Dave Portnoy, and Ted Cruz all made headlines after Robinhood disabled buying in meme stocks. That's a lot of people we just talked about and mentioned, <laughs> a lot of players. What happened here? Yeah, it's kind of crazy that all those people got caught up in an internet storm. Um, I think it was on Thursday, January 20-something. Um, but I'll start kind of explaining it, and maybe Josh, when I get bored of talking, I'll pass it to you or, or Brent. Um, but all right, so back in 2019, there's this trader named Keith Gill. 
And he goes by um, Roaring Kitty and Deep Effing Value online. So he's got a YouTube channel, and then he was posting on this Reddit board. And Reddit board's just basically a, a message board, correct, online? Yeah, Reddit's actually really cool if you haven't used it. Quick side note on Reddit. It's really good for finding information and reviews. So like, if I'm looking for a review on a, a product or something, I'll actually search Reddit over, over Google. Um, okay, so let's get back to this Keith Gill guy. So in 2019, he does some analysis, fundamental analysis, and his analysis leads him to believe that GameStop is an undervalued stock. So to purchase GameStop, he uses what we call leaps, which are long-dated stock options that give him the right to buy GameStop stock in the future. And he started posting updates to this Reddit board on his trade. And he called it YOLO GME options trade. And he would post a picture of his account. And he did this, I, I believe, every week. At the end of the week, he would post a picture of his trade. So he's posting his bets. Essentially, yeah. And during this time, you know, COVID hit and day trading became really popular. A lot of people started opening up these Robinhood accounts. And there's this Reddit board called Wall Street Bets that was ex- extremely popular. And they, they made a couple big trades on Microsoft and then uh, um, the space shuttle company, Virgin Galactic, and then Tesla. And in 2020, September 2020, this guy who goes by the name of Jeff Amazon posted this Reddit thread or wrote it, Reddit post, I guess, about this GME short squeeze trade. And it was really detailed and um, really, really smart. He basically laid out this thesis. I guess what happened after that was the Chewy founder. You, have you used Chewy, Josh? I haven't, but I'm familiar with Chewy. Chewy is the online like uh, pet supply ships to you. It's like the Amazon for, for pet owners. Yeah, so this was in January of this year. This guy gets added to the board at GameStop. And people really like him. I guess he's really intelligent and a you know, business thought leader. So like, oh, he's going to help turn GameStop around. Yeah, and his Chewy's done very well. Yeah, it has. It's Especially been a, because of the pandemic. It's been a great performance stock. So that creates a short squeeze because so many people were betting against GameStop. So they had to cover their shares. And when that happened, the Reddit board started going crazy because some of the people on their own GameStop. And so then they all started saying, hey, buy, buy GameStop shares. Like, let's keep squeezing the, these shorts, these people who are betting against the company. What, 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 what around what date was this? This was probably the second week of January, I think, or the third week. Right. So now we've moved on from the September timeframe onto the end of the year and into January now. Yep, so we're there. I think it's important to know that it just didn't happen right away either. So it, No, it took a long time. I mean, this guy, Keith Gill, started this trade in 2019. Mm-hmm. The guy made this short squeeze post on Reddit in September of 2020, and now here we are in January 2021. The Chewy guy comes in, the short squeeze starts. Yeah. From there, a lot of these people start using Robinhood to buy the stock. Right. That's kind of like the, the millennial brokerage firm. Yeah, it's an app. So you can download it on your phone. You can be up and trading in 15 minutes with this app. Yeah, and I'm not a meme guy, um, but maybe you could explain memes to everybody, Josh. I know you're big on memes. (laughs) Memes make me laugh. I do like (laughs) memes. Um, But memes are just basically pictures and and people comment like words over them. And it's like a a sketch in a picture, a comedy sketch in a picture. And so GME kind of became like the poster child meme stock. Like the Reddit board is just a bunch of memes, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then there's a few other ones, AMC, Nokia, BlackBerry. Am I missing any, Brent? I, don't know. I think there was like 
a few more on the list. I think there's a total of like 12, I think. But those are the main ones. The, the, those are the main players. So what happens now is where the GameStop, let's say it's at 100 bucks a share. And news breaks that this hedge fund, Melvin Capital, is massively short GameStop and can't get out. And this is when the Reddit board goes crazy and the memes just really, really start piling on. And essentially, the whole theme of the board is everyone needs to buy as much GameStop as they can to squeeze out. We're going to beat this hedge fund. It's, it's kind of like their version of Occupy Wall Street. That, that Taking protest. it to the man. Yeah, that protest that happened in um, 2012, I think. Mm-hmm. And then an, another hedge fund that, I guess, invests in this hedge fund or hedge fund manager, Steve Cohn, came in and he essentially gave Melvin Capital the money it needed. So they were fine and able to get out of their short, but the momentum had, had carried and you know, GameStop started really shooting up into the high 300s. What happened then was Robinhood had to suspend trading at GameStop. And this is when the internet completely lost its mind. Yes, it did. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason they had to suspend it wasn't because they were trying to work with, um, you know, Melvin Capital, Steve Cohn, or Citadel, which is what a lot of people thought that Robin Hood was being, I guess, biased in a way. And they still believe it. Yeah, some people still believe it. But what actually happened was Robin Hood was severely undercapitalized and didn't have enough money on its balance sheet to settle their trades. And they had to stop the bleeding. They had to stop the bleeding, essentially. I mean, and what that basically means is that in simple form, there was such a rush of customers coming into Robinhood with such demand to buy stuff, they didn't have the backing to support financially that quick of a demand. Yeah, absolutely correct. That's exactly what happened. And then from there, this is when the internet mob took off, though, that day. And AOC and Ted Cruz were in agreement. A bunch of different senators were calling for Robin Hood to go to, to go to Capitol Hill and testify because it did, in a way, look like that they were, you know, taking orders from hedge fund managers to stop trading GME because they were hurting so bad. Yeah, Robin Hood was protecting Big Wall Street against the retail investor. Right, but again, we've learned that wasn't the case at all. Fun conspiracy theory, but really, they just didn't have enough money. So, where we are today is we now have found out there was actually another hedge fund on the other side of the Melvin Capital trade. It's pretty um, naive to think that a bunch of Reddit traders are going to move GameStop enough to where it's going to you know, shoot up to 350 or whatever its high was. I don't, I don't know the exact high. Yeah, I think it was around 350. So there's this other fund that comes out, made $700 million on this trade. They were long GameStop. They owned 5% of the common. They purchased it in September 2020. So, and they sold that position, I believe, in the 300s. They, they exited. They knew when to get out. They knew when to get out. And so now where we are today as of recording is um, just like anything, Buying a stock is supply and demand, right? There's really no more big buyers left for this GameStop share. And it's down as of recording 81% from its high. And so all of these retail investors are, are sadly kind of left holding the bag. And quite a few of them lost out. Um, the, the main guy we'll go back to at the start, Keith Gill, the roaring kitty, he posted screenshots online of his account. I think the highest I saw it was $45 million. And then the last before he stopped because he's under investigation now was $5 million. Did he get to cash any of that out? He did cash some of it out. Most, most of it that I saw was left was like $5 million in cash, essentially. So he went from really, really rich really fast and then lost a, a lot of money really fast. Yeah, pretty much. Really rich on paper. He was in quite the predicament, though, because 
promoting everyone to buy this stock looked pretty bad than if his next post was that he sold it all and cashed out. What does that do to the stock and everyone else who's holding it? And his reputation. And, and his reputation. I mean, he was the, you know, the leader of this pack and this revolt against these big hedge, this big hedge fund or hedge funds. And then now he's selling, cashing out, and he leaves to a, you know, an island, never returns. And I don't think the story really ends here, right? Because there's so much that you just unpacked. And then there's all the ripple effects that will continue to happen from what just unfolded over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, this story is definitely not over. I mean, it's quite possible GameStop goes back up. I mean, you never know. It, it could happen, right? That said, it does kind of seem like at the end of the day, um, Wall Street won. I mean, Melvin Capital got an infusion of a couple billion dollars from Steve Cohn and SAC Capital. They most likely reloaded their GME short near the top. Um, there's another hedge fund that we talked about that made $700 million on this trade. And it looks like there's a bunch of people who are a little bit inexperienced at investing who ended up purchasing GameStop in the high 300s who are now holding big losing shares. And that's unfortunate. Yeah, it is. It is unfortunate. And, you know, the, the big guy does look like they won. And um, pretty amazing story. I think there's so many layers to this story as well when you're talking about the retail investor hedge funds, um, just the clearing of it, the regulation. You have senators involved, you know, celebrity personalities. There's just so many layers to what had happened and so many, a lot of inaccurate takes on it as well about what actually happened. Really bad takes. And, and so I think that we'll be kind of decompressing from this story for a while. And like you said, it's not over. You know, GameStop stock didn't disappear. So um, we'll see what even more repercussions happen in the future. But great job on, uh, on summarizing kind of the craziness of this week and a half. And when we get into the retirement planning corner, one of the things that, you know, I had a lot of thoughts and feelings as this was taking place and I had clients reach out and there was a better understanding of what they were thinking and what they had sort of assumed what was happening. I think that kind of plays into a lot of the emotional part of investing in retirees. And I want to get to that. Before I do, though... Um, you know, we know that Roaring Kitty and Deep Effing Value, the online nicknames for Keith Gill, we obviously know that he did this yellow trade of, of GameStop and his screenshots show that he was up 40 million and, you know, that had soon gone down. But now he's being investigated in the state of Massachusetts to come to find out he's actually a licensed securities broker. What's happening here? What's your take? And he's probably in trouble. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's in big trouble. You know, there's a lot of laws uh, around professional investors. We know them. The three of us are professional investors. And if he essentially didn't have a license, he really didn't do much wrong. He was just posting on a message board. But I mean, there's, there's going to be some gray areas since he does have a license. I'm sure this ends up with him losing a license and having to pay away most of his, his um, YOLO options, trading profits in legal fees. <laughs> yeah. And I think he was uh, like a financial wellness um, <laughs> coach or something yeah, like he, with Mass Mitchell. Did you see that? Yeah. yeah. I think that was just kind of funny because, yeah, I mean, you do, when you take your license test and when you're, you know, become a professional investor, when you're on that process, a lot of what you're learning is like what you can and can't do. And it's just kind of funny that, you know, he thought that this was all okay about posting on these message boards and he didn't think that any repercussions were going to happen but that investigation came very very quickly yeah and in this industry i mean everything you do marketing wise needs to go through compliance and is heavily scrutinized by your firm and you know he being working for mass mutual doing this without letting them know not only is he in trouble for that but they're probably mass mutual is going to be in big trouble also because clearly they weren't monitoring 
his work the way that they should have. Because at this point, they basically said, we didn't know he was doing any of this. Yeah, and, and like Matt said, I mean, it's been going on since 2019. So it's not like it just happened yesterday or just happened when the news broke on this stock being short squeezed. It's going to be an interesting case for our industry since he was anonymous online. And then we only found out his name because he gave, he actually, I don't know why he did this, but he gave an interview to the Wall Street Journal and, and told them his real name. So that's how he came out. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what the motivation to come out would be if you know your license and you know you can get in trouble. Uh, fame. 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 <laughs> fame, man. I mean, there's only, for, for most advisors or, you know, licensed people, there's probably only one or two times the Wall Street Journal's knocking on your door for an interview. Yeah. <laughs> well, see Martin Sorelli for that. Yeah. Now that we've warmed up with some hot ticks, let's go to the Retirement Planning Corner and see what's on the docket for today. All right, so let's get into the retirement planning corner. Uh, We're going to do some of the frequently asked questions on the saga, really trying to make it easier to understand what actually happened here. And we're going to be going into and discussing how this might impact retirees. Last week, we really finally got a break from all the COVID news, though, and, you know, all the politicians fighting over everything. But this time, really, that news focused on all this market drama. The story really had people talking from mainstream media to social media to every platform you could think of was really talking about what was going on here. And it ranged from everything from speculation to conspiracy theories. And, you know, for several days, it really captivated the nation and everyone really seemed to have an opinion. I'm sure our listeners want to know, how does this really impact them as potential retirees? Because, I mean, does it make you more concerned about market efficiency? Um, well, I'll take the, the stab at this first and pass it on to Josh. The way you saw a direct impact, and this is even for the people who are buying um, GameStop stock, is because there's a few hedge funds under pressure, the market started degrossing. And what that means is they, were, they had to sell their winners to cover their short losses. And so it drove the overall market down that week. So even if you bought GME at 200, you bought you know, 10 shares, you probably lost more money in your 401k on the week than you made on your GME 10 shares. So I thought, I thought that was an interesting angle of where kind of be careful what you wish for. You know, you're knocking the hedge funds, well, then they're going to most likely knock all the stocks in your 401k or the funds in your 401k that are doing good. Yeah, it goes against, you know, if you do have that philosophy in your 401k to be long or have a longer time horizon and you're looking for the home run, which has little risk of, excuse me, little chance of being a home run and a lot of risk, you know, you could have exited this event negative. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's, that's not good for retirees. But, you know, one thing that stuck out to me for retirees about this stock too is that it was a small stock. And if you are practicing good philosophy and you are diversifying, like how big of that impact did it have to you over the long run by having just this one stock or just a handful of stocks, you know, go up um, in the short term? You know, if you're sticking to that longer plan and you have that diversification in your portfolio, you probably didn't see too much movement just because of the GameStop trades. And yes, Brent, to answer your question, this fully proves the market's efficient because when the GameStop was going up. The only reason it was going up is because there was more buyers than sellers. So that's supply and demand kind of one-on-one, right? The hedge funds were the buyers and so were the Reddit guys. So everyone wanted to buy the stock. And now that the stock has started dropping, the reason it's dropping is because there's more sellers than buyers. Everyone wants out. 
My concern when this was going on was that it was giving the optics to people who have their life savings or retirement invested in the market, that the market for that period of time wasn't efficient, and that in the future, it could potentially not be efficient if we had some of these market manipulations with more of this modern day online, being able to group people together and have movements. And, and, and how would that actually impact the market? And would that create a panic sale? Yeah, it could, but it, I mean, it's all temporary. So the, you know, the hedge fund degrossing lasted a couple of days. Since then, the markets um, got back to where it was and been rallying so far in the month of February. But like Josh mentioned, GameStop was a pretty small stock at the time of the squeeze. So it was what we consider a small cap. And, you know, it's pretty tough to move even a small cap like, like GameStop. It took a lot for it to get there. The trade only really started working once that Chewy founder was, that news was there. It wasn't working, you know, prior to that. And I think that's a question that we all got too, was like, could this happen to some of like the bigger positions? Well, in my eyes, when I looked at this situation, it was the perfect storm. Like the, the stock was shorted at such a high percentage, I think like 140%, right? And you had the Chewy founder, then you had the Reddit, like all of this stuff happened to this perfect stock to create this perfect storm and create this demand um, and move it the way it moved it. And so, you know, could this happen all the time? I mean, anything can happen, right? But as far as like that volume and that being that perfect storm to move it that much, it, it was kind of you know, caught everybody off guard. I think one thing that you said was critical too that is coming out now is that it probably wasn't all the Reddit group that moved it or the movement that happened. It was that hedge fund was heavily long in these positions. Yeah, and whenever you get volatility in a stock like you saw in GameStop, that's Wall Street's dream. Every hedge fund most likely was in on this trade in one way or the other and made a killing. The the big banks Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, they most likely made a killing um, that, that week. Like, they want volatility. They want to see stocks go up and down like that. It's just so good for their business models. Does this mean that the market for a short period of time or long period of time was broken? No, I just think that it's a testament to also how fast the market actually processes information because it was all happening so fast. Like, yes, we knew that, you know, Melvin Capital was shorting the stock. Yes, we knew there was a movement behind it. But how fast the market was reacting both up and now when it came down. So I think that it is a testament to seeing how efficient the market is of processing that information and adjusting to back to normal. I mean, because we're not talking about a long period of time here. I mean, days that this adjustment has happened already. The, the market it doesn't break. So to say, I mean, could we see an event in the future where there's some massive hacking or something? Yeah, maybe sure. What breaks is the banking system, the money markets, kind of like what we saw in 2008. Um, but since then, we've had a lot of restrictions put in, put in place via the Dot Frank bill that kind of put like training wheels on banks and the the money market system and how how all that works behind the scenes. Which is again why Robinhood got hit with the capital call. They just didn't have enough money. Yeah, and, and is that just a regulation issue? Yeah, it's more reg regulation, not really thing things breaking. Whether lack of or wrong regulation or just, you know, improper regulation. But I think with chaos also comes change, right? So we can become better from that situation, especially for retail investors. I agree. Yeah, and I think with the amount of um, mainstream media that it got all the way up down to social media, I'd have to assume that there's going to be some kind of regulations that are either looked at or 
possibly put into place and what could that be ah uh, i don't know i would i would assume that maybe there's some more restrictions on smaller brokerage firms like like Robinhood. that's probably where where this goes being that like you know maybe they can't open so many accounts or you have to let money actually come into the account before you're allowed the margin trading that they were allowing um, and then maybe even some kind of test to be able to trade stocks individually um, for for retail investors that they have to take. Yeah, and just to go back on that on margin, just so the listener understands too, is you know if you open up a brokerage account, you deposit money into the account. The money hasn't necessarily cleared yet, but you're able to actually trade those funds. So the actual brokerage firm is taking that risk from when the money gets actually transferred. Um, into the account and the purchasing of the stock. So just to kind of clear that up. And I think, yeah, there's a lot going to be a lot of look into regulation about that because I think that that's one of the core issues in this whole situation. And I think we, you know, now we see what actually happened, but I think who still really comes out looking really bad through all of this is Robinhood. Absolutely. I mean, they, they left so many unanswered questions just based on the interview that he did. He wasn't clear. The CEO, Vlad, came out i don't know if if everyone saw but he was on some of the mainstream like i think he was on cnn and cnbc and a few other places he was doing these interviews and he wasn't clear and concise about what was happening he wasn't and the only thing i do feel a little bad for him is that he did give like the capability to these reddit investors to do this like his platform that he built and where everyone's trading is Robinhood for the most part because of the ease and the no cost and all of the stuff that involves Robinhood, but I agree with you. He didn't handle it appropriately. He could have been more transparent, been more ahead of this story and been proactive instead of kind of reactive, um, which left a bad taste in the mouths of a lot of the consumers of Robinhood. The the problem with Robinhood is it's a brokerage firm with a nice looking app that gamifies the stock market and they're running it like a startup, not like a brokerage firm. Like an app. Yeah, like like it's a hot app. It's it's not that. It's a brokerage firm and it needs to be run like one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and let's let's tell the listeners like what Robinhood is. I mean, again, like Robinhood's just a platform that looks nice that allows people to place trades. And what's nice about it versus, you know, some of the big custodians is that you can buy fractional shares. You know, you don't have certain requirements on there. Like, you know, you could open an account and if you wanted to buy, let's just say Tesla stock, you can buy a fraction of Tesla stock. And that's what, you know, people love that because it got anybody who had, you know, any money, if you wanted to put $10, you could essentially be opening an account at Robinhood and be able to trade. And then all of this mass customers just flooded them all at that one moment so quickly. They have those federal requirements that they have to go by where they have to have a certain amount of money to cover those costs. And they couldn't get it that quickly. And literally all it took them was what, not even 24 hours. By the next morning, they had secured enough capital Mm -hmm. to be able to support it. But by that time, like literally, it was a PR nightmare. Yeah, handled really poorly by them. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, my my first thought was after I heard him do one interview was like, you need a you need to a PR company to come out here and speak for you because you're clearly not telling people exactly exactly what happened because we all by that time when he was already talking, we could we were already starting to figure it out. Like because we're in the industry, we started piecing it together. Started to all make sense. But there was that, that, that period where he didn't just give the other people the ability to understand what was taking place. And they asked him, is it a liquidity issue? Well, he's probably thinking it's not a liquidity issue if we don't have this high of a demand. But now we're getting this rush of demand. We don't have, now we're having a liquidity issue and we got to secure it. Yeah. And, and that's sk- all you had to say. And he skated around the question. And who yep. was he speaking to? He was speaking to his consumer. 
and he didn't make it very clear to understand what was going on to his consumer, which is the retail investor on the other side of that app. Right. And, you know, that's going to leave a bad taste. But what's kind of crazy to see is that they've, they've had an increase in downloads of their app since then. And I think maybe no publicity is bad publicity. Yeah, but I mean, again, like pointing to, oh, we're number one in the app store or whatever, that's a startup game. You're, you're, yeah. a, you're a brokerage firm. Yeah. Act like one. Yeah. And maybe that's where it got a little bit above his head. Yeah. You know? And, and what I don't know if people realize also that there's not that many brokerage firms out there. No, not anymore. Yeah. Now, when we say brokerage firms, I mean, we can name a couple of the big ones like Charles Schwab, you know, Fidelity, TD Ameritrade that maybe our listeners are more familiar with that they haven't heard Robinhood, um, just to kind of give some insight. And they the didn't industry. have these problems, right? No, no, they're well capitalized. Absolutely not. What they did was they raised margin requirements, um, meaning it was more expensive if you wanted to trade the stocks on margin. Yeah, so they just traded, They just changed the requirement where Robinhood had to shut it down because they literally had to secure funding first. Yeah, and there was yes. a couple other uh, smaller firms. I think Interactive Brokers did limit trading um, the, through that same period, but they're, again, a smaller brokerage firm, not the bigger ones that we had just mentioned. And I think that what Robinhood was probably facing that one morning was either we have to pause trading or we're literally going to get shut down or we're going to be in some really big trouble. And, and they had to make a quick decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who's gonna lose? Who's gonna lose the money? The business or the consumer? And they chose the consumer. Yeah, and all of this, I think we're always trying to figure out, you know, what side was right and what side was wrong. Sort of, what's your take on who who was right and who was wrong here? I don't think anybody was truly right or wrong. Um, I mean, I think we've pretty much done a good job of explaining that Robin Hood did a really awful job of managing their PR. If anything, it's an, another fault of you know, these keyboard warriors who are on the internet and rushing to judgment. Um, if anything, maybe that it'd be nice if we can get that to stop. Um, but other than that, no, nobody was right. Nobody was wrong. Um, that's it. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think besides the, like Matt had said, the, the PR issue and just the way Robin Hood handled the situation made the situation even worse. Um, but I don't know if there's, you know, right or wrong. There are winners and losers. Um, definitely, you can see, you know, ba- based off of which side of the bet you were playing, because that's basically what this was. Um, but as far as right or wrong, I, I agree with Matt. So I think one thing that a lot of people still want to know regarding all of this is like who financially came out ahead? Who won? Like who really made out in all of this? Was it the hedge funds? Is, is Robin Hood going to make out in the end? Is it the Reddit traders? Is it Roaring Kitty? Like who won out of all of this? Well, so far, it's that one hedge fund. They made $700 million on the trade. They're a top-performing hedge fund this year, and they're going to have some really nice fees and really good for their investors who are, who are limited partners in their firm. Um, I'd be curious to see what happens with the Melvin Capital. My guess is they were able to reload their short with the capital they got from Steve Cohn. So they're, they're probably going to come out pretty well since GameStop's down so much. And Steve Cohn is the owner of the Mets now, right? Yeah, so Steve Cohn, he's, in a way, he's kind of like the most ruthless character on wall street do either of you guys watch billions i haven't yet Uh, you guys are in the industry and you're not (laughs) watching billions so the main character in billions acts is loosely based on steve cone and essentially he was this ruthless trader that would do whatever it took to essentially make money and he had one of the top performing hedge funds for really i believe most of the early 2000s till he got in some legal trouble with the sec and he had to close him down and basically turn turn it into a family office, which is point seventy two, where he manages his own billions. And yes, he did just buy the Mets. Yeah, I mean that's pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. 
one thing that I, I was thinking about, and I spent a lot of time thinking about like probably who gets hurt out of all of this. You know, we'll, we'll probably find out who won, but who probably gets hurt out of all of this is the investor experience from a generation who's younger than us that was probably, for some of them, buying their first stock ever. And I have to imagine that a lot of them bought their stock on the way up when it was, you know, to the moon, 200, 300, I think it went over to $405 a share. And um, when that stock got to that price, you know, I have to imagine these, this younger generation was buying these shares. And now when you've seen such a massive decline, you know, they either A is probably going to think that the game is rigged or and not interested in investing or, or they're just not going to want to invest again because like, you know, the experience wasn't great. I would have to assume that this, this young generation is actually kind of hurt by this, not helped. I have a couple of thoughts on that. I think that you're right in the fact that it could hurt a young investor. But I think that learning that the stock market has consequence as well is better to learn when you're young. Yep. Um, and it just builds a better investor. And I also just think that right now is the best time to be a young you know, investor because we've never had these types of tools before. So the Robinhood apps and all of the trading tools and all of the what the internet offers to a young investor to go do your own research, to develop your own strategy. And, you know, there's a real red flag there. Go develop a strategy while you're doing this or you're interested in investing, but just never been a better time. And I'm excited for the young investor as well, because to be able to go buy, you know, $10 worth of a stock in an app in 15 minutes, it's pretty amazing. And so don't let, you know, this one time discourage you, take it as a learning lesson. That's so well put, Josh. If I, I mean, my first trades all lost money, so it taught me a lot of valuable lessons. And um, you know, as long as they stick with it and kind of learn from their mistakes, the, this will be a, a lesson, and they'll be able to start picking winners in the future. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the the account is open now. You, you know, your account's open. You've already had money in it. What I hope that it does, though, is I hope it garners interest to a lot of them. I hope that they don't get into thinking that they're going to make a, a living doing short-term stock trading, but that it garners enough interest in them where they are interested in learning like, hey, what's a proper investment philosophy? You know, like we've talked about doing the passive investment philosophy, go buy some Vanguard funds and, you know, build a few stocks around if you want it, but not get down this path where you think you can short-term trade so much that you can make a career out of it. If you want to, go get educated, go get your your education in these in your degrees in these fields and then become licensed and work your way up but you know sitting behind a computer thinking it's going to work it's a pretty challenging thing to do absolutely yeah i agree you're not going to make a career as a day trader picking pennies up in front of a steamroller um, as we saw with the melvin capital thing they basically pulled a million a billion dollars out of nowhere wall street's much bigger than you you kind of have to learn how to skate within their lane um, if you want to win and not skate outside of their lane, essentially. Yeah. And there's so many smart young people out there that might, you know, I, I would like to see them not criticize and say, well, the hedge funds are the big bad wolf. Like what, go out there, get your degrees and go work for them and see how that actually works because there's so much to learn in that field. Yeah. And they do serve a purpose. Absolutely. And, you know, we can make an argument about hedge funds. I'm sure we could talk a whole show about hedge funds and bad, good and you know, everything in between. But I agree with you. Go do that research. And there is a way out there for a young investor to make money and do it without such a big risk either. Like, like Matt said, staying in your lane, but have a foundation, have, you know, a core belief, a core strategy to helping you maximize those returns instead of looking for the home run every time. 
The hedge funds do actually provide a lot of good. So in 2008 or 2007, right, the mortgage trade, that was all done by a bunch of hedge funds that sure a lot of people got hurt, but how, how hurt would they be if that fraud and I guess uh, was never really found out? And then go back to Enron, right? Enron was found out by a bunch of short sellers. Jim Chanos, famous hedge fund manager who made a killing on that trade. Again, a fraudulent company. Yeah. So hedge fund funds do provide a, a purpose. Yep. Yeah, and when clients were asking, you know, is, is this going to, you know, take down the market? I mean, my response was, you know, if a pandemic didn't do it, you know, almost a, a war with Iran or North Korea or the housing crisis or 9-11 or dot-com crash. I mean, you can go back to critical World event. World War II, yeah. nuclear bombs. Critical event after critical event. I don't think a, a few Reddit posts are going to be what takes down the market. So No, GameStop's not going to do it. No, it's not. <laughs> It's time for RPA Recommends. All right, let's uh, wrap it up here. Let's go on to um, RPA Recommends, uh, one of our favorite times of the, the show. Josh, why don't you kick it off? What do you have for us? Okay, my recommends um, today is uh, a show on Netflix called, or it was like a documentary called Night Stalker. It was about uh, the Night Stalker killer in L.A. back in, I think it was like mid-'80s. And um, watch that. Pretty scary. So viewer viewer discretion is advised. Um, but real story and uh, about serial killer in L.A. And what I liked about it is after I watched it and was talking to like my parents and the older generation about that time, because, you know, we're around here in L.A., like where our family lived. And they all remembered it like it was yesterday and all had a story about the Night Stalker and all of that. And it's a really sad story, absolutely, but a really good um, documentary and uh, just interesting to hear all of the personal stories about that time when he was, you know, around back in the 80s. That sounds like it's going to give me nightmares. (laughs) (laughs) It definitely could. It was funny because when uh, after we watched the show, uh, I went to take my my dogs outside to use the restroom and my wife was like, no, don't leave. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure you bolt the the door real good. Exactly. Um, All right. I have another recommendation. This one's really cheap. You could pick it up at a Home Depot or Lowe's or probably get on Amazon.com. Are you going home again? Yeah, you know, I'm a homeowner now, Josh. I have a, I'm learning a bunch of new stuff. A box cutter. I don't know how I lived my whole life without a box cutter. Um, so obviously we get lots of packages in the mail because my wife's always ordering stuff like, like most people. So, you know, there's a new box every day. You could use the box cutter to open it instead of scissors. It works much <laughs> better. Um, and then you could also use it to, you know, cut the box up to put it in your recycling bin so your recycling bin's not over filled with uh you know cardboard boxes or your garage or your garage the other thing it's actually good for is you know when you have something that has that kind of like really tight plastic on it it's really hard to open with scissors Mm -hmm. um it's really good just slicing right through that so i I know i'm really late to this box cutter game i'm (laughs) sure like 90 percent of the listeners like how what is wrong with matt But uh, if you're in the 10% like me, get a box cutter. I want to go to your house and see your box cutter, like, you know, clipped onto your belt, just uh, walking around. Yeah, no, I, I do now. Yeah, no, especially on Saturdays when I'm doing stuff around the house. I don't know anybody who really enjoys taking down boxes, but anything to make that process faster would seem, you know, super helpful. It is. And you could throw a podcast on while you do it. You could throw this podcast on. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, my RPA recommend is, uh, something that also provides some content. Like I think content is amazing these days, whether it's whatever platform that you can find it. I mean, there's really good content. I mean, there's bad content obviously also, but 
uh, I'm going to recommend another podcast, one that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, and that's the All In podcast. It's another podcast that talks about investing and business, and it's talking about what's going on in the state of California. It talks about politics. It's just another good platform to listen to and to get really good educated advice on different topics. I think it's, it rose right up from the bottom all the way up. So there's so much content out there now. I think that's another good podcast to check out. Now that you give them a shout out, should we reach out to them to see if they want to sponsor ours? We, we keep trying I mean, with, with, <laughs> with Flav and All In and all these. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great podcast though. And I, just to piggyback on your content thing, like great point. There's so much good content. There's like, no, there's too much almost. I can't even listen to it all as far as podcasts and YouTube videos and everything else. So what I think is amazing about content is no matter what topic it is that you want to learn about, you can be right listening to experts in whatever that field is very easily. You have access to some of the greatest minds in the world on whatever topic you want to be a part of. That to me in this time is amazing. I agree. I think you undersold the All In podcast. Um, this let me give one more one more point is I believe everybody on that podcast is an actual billionaire, and if not, they're very very close. So it's a, a couple of high tech, a bunch of high tech entrepreneurs who are essentially, you know, giving their views on the world. And it's just really interesting to see how they think. And it's a balanced take. I mean, they all come from different political beliefs. They come from different cultures. It's, you know, they come from different six ways of success. And I think that's what's really interesting. Yeah, about that's a great it. point. Yeah, I agree. All right. So as we kind of wrap this up, just want to thank the listeners. Um, this is why we do what we do. And we love helping people. No matter how emotional this time was over the last couple of weeks, it just brings even more gratification that we're able to help people during these times when you know things don't feel naturally right and, and we don't know what the outcome's going to be. But if you'd like to schedule an appointment with any of us, please go to rpawealth.com and schedule a complimentary consultation. You can always download our ebook on the website. If you'd like the show notes, please go to retirementplanplaybook.com. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you. RPA Wealth Management is a state-registered investment advisor located in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. RPA Wealth Management may only transact business in those states and jurisdictions in which it is registered or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. A copy of RPA Wealth Management's current disclosure statement, Form ADV Part 1, containing RPA Wealth Management's business operations, services, and fees is available by accessing the SEC's Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website. RPA Wealth Management will provide Form ADV Part 2A from Brochure and 2B Brochure Supplement to interested parties upon request. Information provided on this podcast should not be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to acquire or dispose of any investment or engage in any other transaction. RPA Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personal investment advice or financial planning advice through its podcasts. RPA Wealth Management podcasts are intended for information and educational purposes only.